Hello, Not About Us family, and uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this ongoing Revelation study. Um, today, we're going to be investigate. We're going to investigate more of what Yeshua looks like in his glorified state, and kind of what's going on around him, what he's doing. Um, but as always, I'm Brad, and I'm Scott, and this is not about us. Right. Well, uh, before we get going here, um, I just have to, to mention that it's been on my heart lately that uh, I really want to try to make sure that I'm doing these studies correctly. Um, and that's both for anyone who's tuning in, but it's also for me too. You know, I just want to make sure that I'm not putting too much of me in here and, and forgetting about who it's actually about. Um, I mean, we're getting an intimate look at our Savior, and uh, so I just want you all to know that I've been, I have been praying that I am representing that intimacy in a respectful way, because um, I, because I personally really want to know who He is, and 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 I don't want to know who I think He is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I've. I've already mentioned in a previous podcast, but I've used um, a translation that I have since um, have decided to denounce and throw away. Um, so that's in some of the previous podcasts. I did look into it, though, and I don't think that anything that any verse that I used would have uh, greatly hindered what I was trying to say or show. Um, but... That's just that just goes to show that I'm not perfect and I'll never claim to be perfect and and I know I'm going to get some of this wrong and I know I have some ideas that you know might only be scratching the surface of something more accurate or maybe even something bigger that I'm not even not even seeing so mm -hmm. as always uh, what I say take you know take with a grain of salt consider it and, and take it to God because um, that's the best way that I know how to ensure that we're, we are doing this properly and we are doing it with respect. Um, so that being said, Scott, would you, uh, would you start a prayer and, and would you invite him in? Absolutely. You bet. <sighs> Yahweh God, we just, we want to worship you. We want to fall down at your feet. Yes. And just say that you are God. Yes. And we want to praise you. We want to rejoice in the love that you have given us. In giving your life, giving your word, giving, giving us your all. Yahweh God, we thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. We just ask for your blessings on, on this podcast today, Yahweh. We just ask that your truth and your wisdom come out yes and anything that comes from us that was not born of you we just ask that you kill it before it starts yes uh but should it get out uh we ask that you uh you just shut it down father just let that let that just kind of fade into the background as noise yes you let your Holy Spirit 
have have center stage today and let your truth be heard and let your voice be known. Hallelujah. Glorify yourself, Yahweh. Yes. Hallelujah. In the name of Yeshua, we pray this. Hallelujah. And uh, I will not say amen because this conversation is not over. Uh, so go ahead. Lord, I am human and fully capable of error. You are perfection and you are truth. So Lord, please guard this study and help me see the errors that I present as I present them publicly so that I can make sure that I am giving you the respect, the glory, the love that you deserve. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being my companion. Thank you for being my teacher. And I will say, so be it. Amen for that. But no, let's not let the conversation end. Let's... Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, first of all, I think i got to mention, because... Um, we, we are doing this as a video. Oh, what have I done? I've done something to my notes. Uh-oh. I think I fixed it. Okay. Um, the, the, the camera is not making any sort of mistakes. That is... <laughs> <laughs> that is a, a really nasty sunburn. Um, I was having a little fun this weekend, doing some yard work, went to a baseball game, and uh, and... And I didn't realize the camera was going to show it quite that accurate. So, <laughs> so the camera's not messed up. That's just me being really red. <clears throat> okay. Get that out of the way. <clears throat> um, okay. Uh, so today we're going to be looking into verse 16 of chapter 1, uh, which in the King James Version states, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth when a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in its strength. So, the first thing that I wanted to consider from this verse was the importance of the right hand. And, uh, you know, the right hand, hands, but specifically the right hand is mentioned many times in Scripture. So I just wanted to take some time to investigate that. And some of the things I learned, uh, the Hebrew to the Hebrews, the right hand was generally the dominant hand, which is pretty much how it is now, or the stronger hand. And metaphorically, they believed that the right hand represented strength and power. The hands are what we use to complete our work or our plans. Um, the terms instrument or tool was used many times in my references to hands, uh, as references to hands in my studies. So your hands are literally the tool you use to complete your work. And the right hand, being the stronger hand, generally, uh, is considered the stronger tool, the stronger, more powerful uh, instrument. Uh, the word for right hand is Strong's Concordance. Uh, and this one I went to the Hebrew. And it's uh, 3225. And it's pronounced Yamin. And as always, I'm, I've got quite a few of them to say today, both in Hebrew, both in Greek. I, I apologize. I don't mean to butcher. I'm doing my best. <clears throat> um, and what that uh, what Yamin 
uh, as the definition is right hand. So pretty, pretty straightforward. But the reason I looked into it is because I wanted to experiment here. The Hebrew letters that make up this word are Yod, Mem, and Nun. So taking a page out of one of Scott's Genesis studies, I have found a few Hebrew word pictures that um, could be used uh, with this particular spelling. So I'm going to share those with you now. <clears throat> His hand at work brings water that sustains. His hand at work controls chaos and brings everlasting life. And then I like this one. Um, I mean, I liked them all. I wrote them down, but <laughs> I like this one in particular. Take his hand in worship. Drink of his everlasting water. And you become offspring of God. So, I'm not a master of the Hebrew word pictures by any means, but I kind of I, I kind of like oh, looking into that. I thought that was pretty cool. I do. I like that. Take his hand in worship. Drink of his everlasting water. And you become offspring of God. I just thought that was kind of a cool image. And it goes back to other podcasts where we've talked about the fact that God's holding out his hand. Uh, but he's not grabbing us. He's, right. He's, I don't want to say revealing it, but offering. Off, that's the word. He's offering, uh, but it's it's up to us to take it. Yeah. Yeah, and this word and picture here, the, yeah. the action is to take. So, yeah. I mean, it's being presented. But if you take it, mm -hmm. and these are this is the outcome of what can come from that. Yeah. His work was accomplished with his hand, but until we connect with it, we can't participate in that. Right. So, uh, just from considering his right hand, we can see that it represents power and control. If something is in his hand, to me, that represents possession. So, in his hand are seven stars, but he also possesses the seven stars. They're in his hand. Mm -hmm. So, he's in possession of what is in that hand, but not only does he possess it, he controls it. And since it's in his strong hands, it's protected. Well, right now in this verse, in his right hand are the seven stars. Now, Yeshua himself will tell us what these stars represent in just a few verses. In verse 20, he states, The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. Now, this took me down a rabbit hole, because <laughs> I, I guess I, I, I assumed I knew exactly what that, uh, what that meant. It says angels, pretty clear to me what that meant. But then I found out that there is actually quite a bit of debate uh, between a lot of people of whether or not this is um, spiritual beings, God's messengers, or if this is leaders of the churches, or even some suggest that it's uh, individuals who took the letters from John on Patmos and then distributed them to the churches. And so I kind of went down this rabbit hole looking at all these different opinions and trying to come up to a conclusion that makes sense to me. So I'm going to forewarn you, I'm going to present some 
Bible commentaries from a couple different sources. I'm going to come up with my own idea. And as always, I'm capable of error. So take what I say. If you like it, if it sounds right, take it to God. If it doesn't sound right, let it be the noise in the background. But for starters, <clears throat> let's see here. Oh, no, I keep doing that. Keep scrolling away. Yeah. Time. Okay, Warriors. You need like a little TV tray or something. Yeah, we need to, yeah, we'll get a better setup at some point. A little desk or something in front of us or something. Um, okay, so when I was looking at this, to me, you know, it, it means a heavenly being sent by God. A but a human can deliver a message from God, but, but traditionally, when an angel or messenger is mentioned in scripture, it is referring to one of the heaven from one of one of the ones from the heavenly realm. I just, like I said, I was very curious about this debate. So I'm looking into it. One argument that I read from the Moody Bible commentary was this quote, another permissible translation here could be messengers. This is preferred as the word most likely refers to responsible human leaders of these churches as held in the hand of God during perilous times, rather than to spirits. These messengers appear to have responsibility for the spiritual oversight of the church, making it unlikely that God would use a human agent, John, to communicate with angelic beings. Okay, well, they seem to think it's humans. Um, there's an argument from the Believer's Bible commentary that doesn't state their belief, but kind of hints that they do believe that they're heavenly beings. It states, various explanations of the angels have been offered. Some that say that they were angelic beings who represented the churches, just as angels represent nations in Daniel. Others say that they were bishops or pastors of the church, an explanation that lacks scriptural support. Still others say that they were human messengers who picked up the letters from John and Patmos and delivered them to the individual churches. The same Greek word, for angel means either angel or messenger. But in this book, the first meaning is very prominent. I think that's a way of hinting that they believe that they're more angelic beings. The MacArthur Bible commentary states, the word literally means messenger. Although it can mean angel and does throughout the book, it cannot refer to angels here because angels are never leaders in the church. Most likely these messengers are the seven key elders representing each of those churches. So, if you're like me, you would have walked away from that and you would have been very confused, and what the heck are they? <laughs> like, you know, if, if there's not even a consensus among three of the top, top Bible commentaries. So, what do we believe? Now, I, per I personally, in my own studies, I listen to several Bible scholars and the one thing that has been often suggested is to just keep reading. When you get to a word and you're, con and you're confused about its context, what you do is you keep reading the rest of that book, you find when the word is used, and then you, look, you compare all the contexts, and then you can get a kind of an idea of what the author is trying to relate at any one of those times. 
So, in Revelation, this word is mostly used to refer to one of God's messengers from the heavenly realm. It is most often a, uh, a, a God's messenger, an angelic being. However, I did understand what they were saying in their arguments that angels are not church leaders and that it is unlikely God would use John to communicate to his messengers. Those, to me, were valid points. But then I remembered something that I personally believe about Scripture. Why can't both things be true? Mm -hmm. And why can't both things be true and more? So here's kind of, here's kind of my, my thinking. For one, because of Daniel, and because Paul told us so, we are aware that there is a battle in the spiritual realm. There are angels protecting nations, and there are angels protecting the church. Since we are aware of this, I believe it is not unreasonable to suggest that the letters are, that the letters are addressed to the angels of the churches as a way for us to see that events are happening both in the physical and spiritual realm. God can give his orders to his messengers, but by also including John in on that conversation, we get the benefit of knowing what happens in the physical will have repercussions in the spiritual and vice versa. The letters are warnings, but to those that overcome, there are rewards offered. So in my mind, if we lose the battle, the angel of the church might have to retreat. But if we are encouraged and overcome, then the angel holds his territory. His territory might even increase. That would happen in the spiritual. But we would see in the physical the outcomes of either of those. Now, a second reasoning uh, for this is as we read in Revelation, uh, we're seeing it both from two, two points of view. We see things happen in the spiritual, and then we see what happens, uh, uh, the outcome of that in the physical. A lot of times it's, it's you know, wrath being unleashed, and then this happens on the earth. But it happens in heaven, and it happens in the spiritual. The angel is allowed to unleash whatever, and then it happens on the earth. In the physical. So, I personally believe that that both of these statements are true. I do think that there were leaders in the churches that those letters were for, but I also do believe that the that they were also for spiritual beings in the spiritual realm that were charged with the protection of that church. I'm in total agreement. I'm. Um... I've been holding off saying anything, but I put a lot of study into this too. I wanted to, uh, I didn't want to jump in and, and undercut you in any way, but, um, yeah, I, I, this is one of those things that frustrates me because I see so many people, they, um, oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, they go one way or the other as if that's the only thing it can be. Right. And, and as we both learned, no, I, I'm in total agreement with you. That it's not just leaders in the churches. It's not just spiritual beings. There's so many other applications. And we have to stop limiting God. Yes. And we're getting to debates and fights about what this means when you're sitting there going, yes, you're all right. 
You're, you're all correct. That doesn't mean the other point of view is not correct. Um, I, this is, it's very much a, uh, spiritual overlay that applies to everyone throughout history. It is very much a specific message to individuals at that time, at that, at those locations. Mm -hmm. And it is so much more. Uh, the more I've gotten into this, the more I've realized that, you know, the, the letters to the seven churches in, in Revelation 2 and 3, this statement right here about the, the seven stars in his right hand, what were they? What were the angels of the seven churches? Okay, what were the angels of the seven churches specifically? There's there's so much that it refers to. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they are, you know, I... And I don't want to get into everything I've come up with here, but but uh, we'll we'll just go those two and beyond because I don't want to start something else uh, right now. But but I'm totally on board that that uh, I've heard people say, well, angel that word angel means messenger, so it can't it, it doesn't mean angelic being. Right. I'm like, so they weren't messengers. You know, uh, a messenger can be anybody. Right, you know. Uh, so the, yeah, the term is not technically wrong. It could represent. It could mean a human person. And I think that's why it's done. I think God did it intentionally. Mm -hmm. It's a messenger. Uh, these are these are my messengers, in whatever form they come. Yeah. Because even if we say, even if we say, uh, limited to human beings and it can't be of a divine nature. Um, I could say, okay, but this doesn't just refer to those people. This refers to his messengers throughout time. Right. Uh, this this is just as important to us today as it was to them, and God knew that. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in this book. He would not have included it and the in the Bible if it didn't have equal value to us at this moment in time. Because um, they're they're. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of letters and books and what have you that are not canonized in Scripture. Right. That that might have some historical value, might have some wisdom here and there, but there's a reason that they were not included in the Bible uh, uh, because they're, you know, there there's errors, there's faults, there there's something involved uh, that even within the book itself, such as Enoch. Uh, that flat out states, you know what, this is intended for a specific group of people. It's not really intended for anyone else. And so therefore, what use does it have to everybody? Right. You know, uh, I think everything in the Bible, everyone, every single person on earth can read it and, and it applies directly to them. Uh, if you can take this and honestly say, nope, has no application to us whatsoever, then it shouldn't be here. Right. And I, I believe that that is erroneous in this case. It has application to so many things. Well, and, and Revelation and Daniel kind of go hand in hand. Very much so. And Daniel, you know, it's a it's a cool moment because you you get a glimpse into the spiritual and I like when that happens because I'm naturally just curious. Yeah. You know, and that's where we, we learn that the nations do have, uh, do have an angel or, you know, a super being that is in protection of them or possibly on the other side corrupting them. Mm -hmm. And 
And and we're told that that you know the reason the angel was delayed was because you know he 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 had to get assistance mm-hmm. uh, because he he was the better of him was getting taken. So we know that there is a conflict and that there yeah. there are winners and losers. There are you know so um, that also gives me that that also makes me understand then well then why can't there also be angels that are protecting the church? You know they're they're protecting the nations, but. Yeshua is also going to protect his church. I mean, he's got them in his right hand, his powerful right hand, you know, so they are being protected, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I in total agreement with your assessment of my agreement. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, let's see here. But as always, like I said, um, you know, please, Use your own discernment with God's help, um, and, uh, and 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 really, you know, look into it if this is something that's interesting to you or confusing, or if you just are not sure. Um, now, so Yeshua has the seven stars in his right hand. In my mind, that means he's controlling, he's possessing, he protects with that powerful and strong right hand. So he's protecting the angels, I think, both the heavenly beings and the humans. So if we move on to the verse that says, And out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. The first thing here that I investigated was out of. This is Strong's Concordance, back to the Greek, uh, 1537. And it's pronounced... Ek, eek, eek. It's pronounced eek. And for, the, for which sword? For, sorry, did I not specify? The uh, I'm, I'm looking at the phrase out of. Out of, okay. <clears throat> and the definition is from, and then from out of, and its usage is from out, out from among, from, and then suggesting from the interior outwards. Right away though, when I was looking into this word, I noticed something in the word study helper, and I thought this was interesting. It says, uh, 1537, eek, and it uh, properly is out from and to, the outcome, out from within. But then this, this was interesting. Eek, out of is one of the most under-translated and therefore mistranslated Greek propositions, often being confined to the meaning of by. Eek has a two-layered meaning. So it's out from and to, which makes it outcome-oriented. Out of the depths of the source and extending to its impact on the object. I want to make sure I'm saying that correctly. Out of the depths of the source and extending to its impact on the object. So this this little phrase that I thought was going to be pretty easy, um, I've got some thoughts on. It's important to note that it had that two-layered meaning that makes me want to stop and consider it. In the context of this verse, the two-edged sword is coming out from Yeshua's mouth, 
but because of the two-layered meaning, it is going to something. From Yeshua's interior and out. First of all, that. Mm -hmm. From his interior. Right. Out. And we've talked before about, you know, about um, what, what our heart is and what, like, his heart would be. Pure, beautiful, innocent, you know, ours is is garbage and and from you know from 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 uh our words comes from what's in our interior and our interior is not good but his is good it's pure but uh so we're out of the depths of yeshua and it's extending to its impact so what i'm getting from that is when yeshua speaks what he says must have an impact. And so the next word I looked up gives credit to that idea. Strong concordance for the word went is 1607, 1607. And this one is ik por you amahi. Ik por you amahi. I think I got it. <laughs> um, and this is to make go forth, to go forth. And uh, usage, I depart from, uh, cast out, I proceed from, am spoken, I burst forth, flow out. And then it's a uh, word helper here. There was a part that I really liked. Where is it at? Okay, so eek, or which is so the word that we just did, and then out from, it, it, it like intensifies it. So properly to go out from, emphasizing the outcome or the end impact of going through a particular process or passage, i.e. the influence on the person or thing which comes forth. Note the force of the prefix, eek, come out from. And then, uh, you know, I gotta say right here, um, this is, uh, I like this because it is, I always got this picture and a, and a sharp sword, sharp, sharp two-edged sword went out of his mouth as just kind of this picture of God. You just see the sword just kind of hovering or just kind of floating out, mm -hmm. you know, like, like a majestic picture, like his eyes are on fire, but they're just kind of there. Right. Not like, foom, foom, you know, I mean, just, you get the, a sharp sword went out of his mouth, like, like his mouth is open. There's a sword just either static just right there, or just kind of coming out like this. But the word picture that I'm getting from you explaining all this is to burst forth from, from his innermost being to impact with its designed target. So it's like, it's changing my image to this, you know, just, bam, bam, you know, just striking. Yes, it's, it's, you know, sharp two-edged sword comes out, not just, not just, like like a sword sweller just pulling the sword out, you know, just kind of coming out, and, and almost like God Jesus could go, eh, there, there's your sword, right? You know, it's like it's it's bursting out it's and got, striking, and it's got purpose. It's and, got a point. Yeah. Uh huh. And uh, almost like he's he's seeing Jesus, and the sword is going, boom, and it he doesn't know where it's going, but it has purpose. He sent it out somewhere, right? You know. Uh, that's, this is just changing my whole, my image of that picture. 
Yeah, I always saw it as almost kind of similar to the the flaming swords that protect uh, that protect the Garden of Eden. Like I almost saw it as it comes out and it just kind of yeah. is doing its yeah. thing, right? But it's just there, right? You know, now I'm the whole burst forth has a target. You know, um, like you said, the one the the first the the out of you know it, it's from the innermost being to its designated target, and I'm seeing like a line. You know, if you could graph it, you know, uh, from out of his mouth to where that point is. Mm -hmm. uh, not just, it came out, okay, now it's out of his mouth, that's all. And Because yeah, that's previously what I thought of. Okay, it's out of his mouth, now it's done, it's, it's here. Right. But, so, and I'm going to get into this in a moment, but when you think about it coming from his interior and it has a target, it has a point, it has an outcome. Uh-huh. From my perspective, that outcome uh, can be good if you are one of his people. Oh, yeah. But it's not so good if, uh, if, you're, if you're not. If you are, or if you are an enemy of his, and I, I'll get into that in a little bit, but, but now, that I, now that I know that it doesn't just do what I thought it did and just kind of you know, hover and do its thing. Now that I realize that even this has a point and it has an outcome, but we'll get to that in a moment. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> um, so in that, in that uh, word helper, you know, once again, it mentions outcome and impact. So from Yeshua's interior, the two-edged sword comes forth to its end impact, its conclusion. I looked up two-edged and found something interesting. At least it was interesting to me. It's Strong's Concordance 1366 and uh, Dis Thomas. Dis Thomas. And this definition means double mouth or two edged. Its usage is uh, twain mouth, hence of a sword, as a drinker of blood, and two edged. So our word study helpers here, um, Dis Thomas, Dis Tom Os, not Thomas like the name, Dis Tom Os, uh, properly is two mouth, having two edges like a two-edged sword, with both sides of the blade sharpened to an edge, and figuratively what penetrates at every point of contact, coming in or going out. A two-edged sword is an ideal defensive offensive weapon and was known as a drinker of blood. The sword. Uh, yeah. I didn't put right. much into that, but but uh, definitely see why it would <laughs> yeah. be known that way. <laughs> it's like in uh, Lord of the Rings and all them, all the swords have names and whatnot. One mm -hmm. of them could be drinker of blood, you know. Right. <clears throat> but uh, so figuratively, figuratively, what penetrates at every point of contact coming in or going out. So when Yeshua speaks, it will penetrate at every point of contact. Just this imagery is impressive to me. I, I just, I'm throwing this out there. Some of the stuff I have ideas about, some of it I don't. I just, but sometimes I just like to share the picture because to me it's like, okay. I mean, there could be so much more. I'm not even getting anywhere near it, but every point of contact. When Yeshua speaks, every point of contact. But I also like what it says about a two-edged sword is an ideal defensive offensive weapon. 
Not only can it be used to go on the offense, but Yeshua's word is defensive. And I think of how the Pharisees and the Sadducees tried to trap him. They would use their words and clever tricks, but they never could. And in my head, I now am seeing like the sparring match of words. And they try to find an opening, but mm-hmm. they can't get through the defense of Yeshua's two-edged sword. I just, I, that, to me, I just, that imagery is just so cool. They're, they're yeah. trying, but they just can't get past his defenses. And I never thought of it in that way before. I always thought of it as, you know, it goes, it goes out and as judgment, as yeah. it goes out as, you know, uh, to people that are not his, it's going to be bad. It's going to be judgment. It's going to be destruction and death. Right. But I never saw it as, as a, also a, a defensive weapon. It's right. keeping others from, you know, being able to get to him, mm-hmm. which is also encouraging because that means the word that we get to share, that the gospel, that message that we get to put out is also a defensive tool for us. You know, I never really thought about it that way before. I always thought of it as a, 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 you know, it's important to get the message out, get the message out, but it also, in a way, protects us. Yeah. So now I looked up the word for sword, and I I only saw one thing that made me stop and think, but it's interesting. This one is Strong's Concordance 4501, and this word is haramphaya. Probably not correct. Haramphaya. And the definition of this one is, uh, actually definition doesn't matter because it's a weird one. It's basically the name of a, an Egyptian god. Oh, but, okay. but the usage is a sword or a scimitar. In the word study helper, it states a long Thracian sword, a sword, a scimitar, um, Harumphaya is a large broadsword that both cuts and pierces. An imposing sword, and it's uh, basically finality and shows dominance. So the definition, uh, but then one of the usages of this word, and this is what stood out to me. This made me, oh, this made me really think. Um, One of the possible usages for this, for, for sword is piercing grief. And that phrase, um, something about that phrase uh, came to me, and it's almost as if uh, the Spirit said, Brad, listen to that. Piercing grief. And what, 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 what I, when I was considering it and thinking about it, I couldn't think of a more chilling phrase for what someone experiencing judgment, uh, someone not, someone not online with Jesus, experiencing judgment. What what more chilling of a word can you think of than piercing grief? Yeah. This I, I and I don't I don't really have too many thoughts on that. I just I, I felt like I was important to 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 share that and and. And I don't know. I I don't know. It just it, it chilled me to the bone when I thought of it. It does make me think. Um, I have heard people talk about it's a it's a sharp two edged sword because it cuts out. It also cuts this way. Yeah. 
um, and and it's intended to be used both directions. It's it's uh, it's intended to be used on ourselves as well. Yeah. And and to I mean, if you think about it that way, it's it's intended as as a surgical scalpel, as a as a corrective thing, uh, uh, as a uh, hey, I found error. Let's cut that out. You know, kind of if you want to think about it that way. And it's piercing and it's painful to deal with some things in our lives sometimes that need to be dealt with uh, that make us, I mean, you and I have both had these conversations on the podcast, things that just tore us to, tore us to pieces and made us cry and, and, and hurt us, but they were necessary and they were loving and they were, they, they were God working on our hearts to say, that's got to change. Yeah. And that's where his word was going to improve us and to correct us and to slice away, so to speak, an area that didn't need to be there. Um, so, yeah, that, that the piercing grief, I, I can very definitely relate to that. Yeah. And, and when I was thinking about this, I also came up, you know, I, I, always, I always remember this you know, that we pierced him, mm -hmm. you know, we pierced the one who loves us the most. And that always is always hard for me to, 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 to deal with that. And then when I did my study and, and, uh, and when we talked about when he was pierced and about what that really meant, as far as like the words considered it and how much worse than it was, uh, that we actually pierced his heart. Right. In a way, you know, we, we, pierced him with grief too i mean yeah and so i think i don't want to get too far ahead on this but there i i noticed some dualities in this verse um that may be true dualities or they might just be my own thoughts but but it's one of those things with piercing grief you know we're pierced with piercing grief but he was also pierced you know Mm -hmm. It's it's just one of it's just one of those dualities those those truths but um, when I think about what we did you know it's it's hard and and we got to remember that he's the one that loved us the most and he still loves us and he still wants us and uh, you know we need we really we really need uh, we need him we need we we need to acknowledge that we are in the wrong that we have done horrible things so we understand and accept his love and accept that even though we don't deserve it he's willing to let us be with him and uh but anyway um for the last part of this verse it states and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength and so for this i started by looking up the word continence it is uh, Strong's Concordance 3799, and this one is Opsis, pretty easy, I think I got that one. Uh, but this is the act of seeing and the sense of sight. Its usage, uh, the face, the features, outward appearance. Now, I don't have a whole lot of insight more than what is said in this definition, but I did want to consider whose countenance we were we are referring to. Yeshua himself and his face, his features, his outward appearance, 
In this glorified state, it is described as the sun shining in its strength. And so the first thing I think about when, when I consider this is just how bright, how bright is that? You can't even, you, you squint and you have to hold hand. You can't even, you can't even truly look at, at the, the sun when it's shining in its strength. Uh -huh. I mean, it's bright, and it's, but it's a brilliant, brilliant light. And it's a brilliant light that's shining forth, and it's illuminating, so we can all clearly see. Now, I only have, uh, I only have one more word that I looked up here, um, and it was the word for strength. And this is 1411, and this is uh, dunamis. And this is miraculous, power, might, strength, usage, physical force, sorry, physical power, force, might, ability, energy. It's uh, powerful deeds, deeds showing physical power or marvelous works. Now this verse has been showing Yeshua control, it's been showing him in possession of his church, and as powerful with words and judgment, and now, as a now as illuminating his strength. Now, with this word for strength, we can see that what he is illuminating is his power, his might, that strength. But also, the usage can also refer to marvelous works and powerful deeds. And I notice a duality here for the things that we've discussed: the church and the physical, and the spiritual. The two-edged sword, which is duality by itself, but the two-edged sword that can be used for offense or defense. And now illumination that can show strength, but also the marvelous works. As believers, we are his possession. By his words, we are protected. And because of his illumination, we can celebrate and praise his marvelous deeds. His marvelous works. But on the other side... Those who are an enemy of Christ, he states he does not know. The two-edged sword is piercing grief, and the illumination will only show his strength and their weakness. I mean, when you look at the duality of that, yeah, he comes, he comes with judgment for us all, but those that are his, it's that, it's that corrective, loving judgment it, it but for those that are not i mean in in scripture it states he will say i do not know you mm -hmm. and what a statement you know i i was amazed i mean i don't even know how to describe how powerful it was when the god of the universe did something for me just for me and i realized he knows me I mean, that was such a powerful moment. I can't imagine to be on the other end of that, to show up and he doesn't even know me. And of course he knows you, but, you know, he, it's, like, it's like when he says, uh, your sins will be forgotten. He doesn't physically, he doesn't literally forget your sins. They're just as if they no longer matter, which is a horrible thought <laughs> that you show up and... And uh, he says, I don't know you, you, so then you no longer matter. It's, right. it's a, I, I don't know, I, that, that would, 
That would terrify me if I was on the other end of this. Absolutely terrify me. And that's that's the the reason that we that we do these things, the reason that we try to celebrate and show this love, because I can't I don't wish that on anybody. I don't wish that anybody would fall into that category. But there are people who are choosing it. And so that's the goal. That's the work we have to do. We can't give up. We have to keep trying because I can't imagine anything worse for them. For us, we can celebrate the marvelous deeds, this marvelous work, and we get the rewards of that. But those that don't, you know, they're going to only see his judgment as his strength and their weakness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just processing all this. Um, real quick, I, I um, didn't have it sorted in time to jump in, but I want to go back to countenance real quick. Um, it made me think, now I can't, you know, you gave the Greek, mm-hmm. so I can't verify if it's the same word in Hebrew, but I went back to the many times that we went over that word in Genesis, it's talking about the face of the sky, mm-hmm. and it was the same word as uh, uh, when Cain, uh, God rebukes him for his, his unworthy offering and his countenance fell. Yeah. It means his face dropped. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you cannot look upon the face of God and live and all that kind of thing. And here we are, post-resurrection, post-victory over the dead. Uh, the, uh, the Holy Spirit has been released to us. We are now partakers with him. We're now joined with him. And his countenance is as the sun shineth in his strength. Now he's seeing, his, he's looking on the face of Jesus when to do so earlier would have meant death. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, yep. it was just striking me that we have, uh, you know, and, and we've discussed this where, where God told Moses, you cannot look upon my face, but I'm going to put you in the cliff. I'm going to put my hand on as I walk by. You can see my back, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, in several verses like that. Now here we are. He's looking at his face. His face is just shining, you know, and I and I, I was just wondering if, if that had happened to Moses or to whoever, they would have died. Yeah. Well, and, 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 there are places in scripture where it talks about the, the fire that doesn't consume. And mm-hmm. I think of this as kind of the same thing. This light is, you know, it's, it's bright and, and probably warm, but we're at a point now, or at least mm-hmm. he, John was, we're at a point now where it doesn't burn us up. Yeah. And yeah. now you just get the comfort of the heat. You get the... Mm-hmm. Because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We've been, the, the sin has been removed on an individual level for those who have accepted his gift. This is a place where John can go. This was always the way Jesus looked. This is, this is a, it's just, he couldn't reveal himself in that way earlier. Right. Now he can. And, uh, it just struck me that, uh, I I don't absolutely know it's the same word if we looked at the Hebrew, but I'm, I'm guessing that it is that, that we're talking about, uh, the face of God, his countenance has gone from. I need to hide it from you to being fully revealed. And yeah. that, 
I mean, that in and of itself is a cool thing at this point. Yeah. But... Well, and then, and this kind of, this uh, verse kind of ends the whole, his appearance um, that John describes in these last few verses. Mm -hmm. And when you put it all together, I mean, and I'm sorry, I probably, I, I should have ended this by going back over some of my other ones and just putting it all together, but what a picture we've been, what we've, we've painted of mm -hmm. this, of this incredible image of this, of, of, of him in his glorified state. I, I mean, common themes were, you know, were power, were uh, getting to work. I mean, there were several of them where, where it was just, he, this shows how he's able to do his work. This, this shows his ability to pay for his work. This shows his feet are, you know, are strong and they're going to be able to do the work. Uh, now we've got uh, his hand, you know, is the tool that does work. And, you know, it's uplifting the church and it's protecting it. And, and, and it's also in control. Like, you know, you can guarantee that if you're in his hands, you know, he's never going to drop you. He's never going to, you know, it's, you, you are in control because he's in control, you know. Um, so it's just power, might, illumination. Uh, was in was a part of a lot of this just being bright mm -hmm. but that pure yeah. but that pure light that 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 uh beautiful that heat that doesn't burn you up the you know just all of that and then and then next verse uh, you know as i think most humans uh john describes what he does when he's presented with that glorified beautiful image because um, it is, it's it, it's beyond impressive to a, to us mere humans who are not accustomed to such things. Right. You know. Well, thank you for that uh, for today, as well as the whole thing up to this point. Uh, but I don't know anything else you want to wrap it up with, or you know, we're only four verses, and I'll be in a different chapter. <laughs> <laughs> That's. Are you sure? <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> but no, seriously, um, thank you. And if you have been listening to these, I do hope, I do hope that they are ministering to you. They are a blessing. That they are encouraging. That you're you're seeing, you're seeing the painting that I'm trying to paint. But know that it's not my painting. It's it's his. I hope it's encouraging you to go and and and, and find your own painting of him to find more about him. But. Uh, but yeah, as always, this has been Brad. And this has been Scott. And this has been Not About Us.